Hey y'all, I'm Sammy, your host of the You Were Made For More podcast. John 10.10 is a promise that Jesus came down to earth so that we would have life and have it abundantly. My prayer is that this podcast and all of the content that we put out would remind every student that they were made for more simply because of who they were created to be. My own walk with the Lord and my relationships with the teenagers that I disciple have shown me that once we understand whose we are, the game changes. Or in other words, transformation happens. Our identity changes everything. We recognize that it takes investment and partnership between the church and parents to raise teens who know and believe who they are in Jesus, and we're here to help. So buckle up as we take this journey and take a look at what God has to say about friendships, relationships, sexuality, dating, and all the things in between. Hey guys, welcome to the You Were Made For More podcast. This is Sammy Gallo, your host, and today I am just really excited to bring you guys a feature that I did with John's Tombs Tree. If you are not aware of who John is, he is the leader of the Colson Center, and the goal of the Colson Center really is to equip people to live out a Christian worldview wherever they are. They believe that God made you for a time and a place, and it is the one that we are in right now. We all have the ability to live like Christians, and we have to figure out our place in God's story in order to serve God with clarity, confidence, and courage. So that is a little bit about what they do, and John is a great, great leader. He is an articulate Bible teacher. He is also an Anglican, so Anglicans for Life and Abundant Life are big, big fans of what the Colson Center does. And I actually asked him to come on to the podcast today to talk about identity in Christ. If you are familiar with Abundant Life, you know that that is what we do. Um, We want to equip every student to know that they were made for more, that they were made in the image of God, and that that image, the reflection that they show should change how they live and it should change their relationships with other people. An article came out a few weeks ago written by Caleb Morell, and it was about the idea that finding our identity in Christ is actually unbiblical. And I think that's a little bit of a reach, but I do think that we as the church and we as youth leaders and parents and Bible teachers need to do a better job of how we teach the image of God, of how we teach identity. And I wanted to ask John to come on the podcast because I want our listeners to know that we are aligned with what John has to say about identity in Christ, with what the Colson Center has to say about it, and I want to be sure that we are equipping people to talk about identity in a biblical way and not in a postmodern self-discovery way that we're going to talk about in this episode. So I encourage you to head over to the show notes and... 
to kind of read both of the articles that we're going to reference. And then I also encourage you to pray about this, to look at what the scriptures say about it, to really soak up what John is going to tell us today and to let that transform you, to let the Holy Spirit convict you and to talk about this within your communities so that we as the church can start leading leading this transformation that needs to occur in order to make sure that we're getting the story of creation and the story of our creator correct. The topic that we're going to be talking about, about identity in Christ in particular, is something that I'm super passionate about as a youth leader, but also I have a little one-year-old girl and am discipling her. So um, just teaching people how to have conversations about these topics in a biblical and scriptural, scriptural way is something that I really believe we have to do well. Um, so that's kind of the direction that I want to head in. I just really appreciated the article that you released a few weeks ago, um, in response to morale's article about stop finding your identity in christ um and georgetta and i were kind of having conversations about how to approach this and i was like why don't we just reach out to john because <laughs> you kind of had the perfect words in response to that so if you're okay with it i'm just gonna start off and um ask you a couple questions um and we can go from there sounds good Okay, so the first question I had for you was, do you think that the phrase finding your identity in Christ is unbiblical and why? No, I don't think it's unbiblical. I just think it's incomplete. Um, mm -hmm. And it kind of goes from, I, I think, a larger problem or it emerges from a larger problem uh, of what some people have called kind of having a two chapter gospel. Uh, what that means is, is that we tend to talk about what Christ does as a, a savior of the world uh, in two chapters, sin and salvation. So we're sinners and we need a savior. And that sin, you know, disfigures us. It separates us from God. It can disconnects us from his created. It, it disconnects us from what his best is for us. That's the sort of language that we use. And then uh, you know, what Christ did is he came to redeem us. Um, and, and that's true, but the Bible tells a bigger story. Uh, the Bible doesn't begin in Genesis 3, as Nancy Piercy once aptly put it. It begins in Genesis 1. Mm. And Genesis 1 tells of the creative week, which culminates in the creation of in, image bearers. Genesis 2 goes into uh, in depth of how that applies in terms of our um, created purpose within the larger uh, creation, uh, what it means to be male and female, why, ma why male and female is actually an essential part of who we are, uh, the personal interaction between God and, and us prior to the fall. And, you know, that fascinating place where God, before Adam and Eve sin, says something's not good. Uh, I mean, all of this is fascinating. There is this created intent there, even to the point where, you know, you could say literally God got his hands dirty in forming man and woman. You know, that's where the story begins. Mm -hmm. And then the story ends 
with you know a, a culmination of, of, of creation, restoration of all things, this wonderful kind of great reversal of Revelation seven through twenty one. Not to mention, um, you know, all these epistles that come after the gospel. So the gospel tells us of you know Jesus' death and resurrection, and you know the, the source of our salvation. And, and then the epistles describe all of this, right? I mean, all of Paul's epistles do that. We're, but but it's interesting because the first half of those books tend to be, I mean, I think Ephesians is a great example. Romans is an example. The first part of those books are describing just how amazing this salvation is. And then the second half is like, okay, so if that's true, now here's how you're supposed to be a husband. Here's how you're supposed to be a wife, a child, a teacher, a pastor, here's how you're supposed to be a citizen. Here's how you're supposed to treat the government. Here's how you're supposed to think about your work. This is for you slaves. This is for you slave owners. In other words, there's a whole lot of, oh, once you're saved, you're not only saved from something and to something, you're saved for something. So identity in Christ, I think it has to be understood in terms of identity in creation and identity in new creation. It's not just being saved from sin saved to heaven. It's being saved for eternal life. And um, we are so disconnected, culturally speaking. I know this is probably a longer answer than you wanted, but we are so disconnected, culturally speaking, from our cre- from the cre- idea of creation. I mean, mm-hmm. biology, right? You can talk about the sciences. You can talk about psychology. You can talk about gender dysphoria and sexual orientation issues. You can talk about our laws that are literally legislating as if people don't have bodies that matter Mm. or that are definitive. And so this is the cultural water that we're swimming in. We're swimming in something profoundly disembodied, profoundly disconnected from creation. So to tell people now, oh, your identity is in Christ, as if Christ himself did not enter human history in the middle of a story that began with creation. Of course, he was there too, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I I think is irresponsible. We've got to do more than just use this phrase identity in Christ. Or another way to say this is identity in Christ makes no sense outside of identity in creation. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And I like how you brought up the culture that we're currently in, how disconnected we are from creation um so going off of that i want to ask you like how do we practically do this how do we rightfully connect our identity with the identity of creation so that we're not turning this you know search for who we are um you know, and, and if that leads us to Christ if that leads us to our identity in him and the identity in creation how do we stop it from turning into this postmodern attempt mm. at, of self-discovery? You know, that's essentially yeah. all about us. So how do we do that? Well, I, I think, first of all, is understanding what you just said, mm-hmm. which is that very often what goes under the label identity in Christ is uh, this postmodern search for self-discovery. Mm-hmm. you know, kind of sanctified uh, or attempted to be sanctified. Um, so first of all, we need to understand what's really happening. And that's why Carl Truman's new book, Strange New World is a must read uh, because he talks about kind of the cultural waters that we're swimming in and very specifically says, 
you know, how did we get to this particular point where somebody's internal subjective sense of self is more true than any sort of objective external reference point? Uh, he talks essentially and describes the ways in which we are essentially neo-Gnostics. And, you know, that's a phrase, that's a word that essentially points back to this perpetual heresy that just won't seem to go away. It's what we call zombie idea. You know, this thing just won't die. Um, Where uh, who we truly are is completely disconnected from uh, anything physical. It's just what we kind of this internal knowledge we have about ourselves. And that's not just expressed in the gender issue, although it is, it's expressed in spirituality. It's expressed, you know, for, from people who say, you know, uh, you know, there was just a piece the other day uh, published in uh, Sojourners, uh, ma- not on their mag, not in their magazine, but on their website, which of course is a evangelical institution, main, mm-hmm. you know, mainline has been, a, has been pretty progressive for a, a long time actually was an article written by a author who was polyamorous, who was talking about how Aquinas and Augustine were wrong and purveyors of quote unquote purity culture. And that because she was polyamorous and her child had three sets of parents and she loved Jesus. Therefore it was, you see, it becomes this bizarre, completely internally referential sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So you have to understand that you have to understand that no, to be created is to be dependent, to be created is to be designed, to be designed is to be defined. So this is, this is kind of basic worldview. And I don't think we can assume that knowledge. I think that I would have had a different starting point 50, 60, 70 years ago and answering the same question, because I think there was things you could assume. There was a, kind of a level of shared knowledge. A way to talk about this, Samantha, is if you go back to the historic creeds, which of course really matter uh, for Anglicans, the Nicene Creed, uh, the Apostles' Creed, and then even some of the other you know church councils and what they were debating, there's not a real statement of anthropology that comes out of any of them. You know, mm-hmm. This is what man is. And the reason is that some of these real fundamental basics, you know, like that we have bodies, that our bodies matter, that our bodies actually are definitive, that there's a givenness to our human natures, that we are dependent, that, you know, the human relationships are, have a particular structure. These things were never up for grabs. And, and of course, that's what gave us the creeds, right? Somebody would come up and go, ah, you know, I don't think Jesus was fully God. We need a creed. <laughs> and the mm-hmm. church would call a council and they would fix the problem. In other words, these creeds were always responses to heresy. It's stunning. We haven't had this level of heresy about the human person until right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, you know, I'm not one to call a church council. I don't have that kind of authority, but it it is something we can't assume everyone's on the same page like we could in the past. Second, we need to teach the creation story and not just as a scientific, here's how we are not evolutionist. We need to teach the creationist story as if it is definitive about what it means to be human. Mm. Um And I think we can't underestimate that. I think right now, for example, if you went from church to church to church and you ask people, you know, hey, fill in the blank, humans are made in the, and then people would say image of God, which is great. But then you'd say, well, what is that? What is the image of God? 
What difference does the image of God make? How does the Bible describe the image of God? What significance biblically does the image of God have in light of the larger story? What is the theological implications of the image of God? How's the world different if we're made in the image of God versus if we are not? How does that impact things like education? And, and, and I think at that point, you get a lot of stunned looks and a whole lot of crickets because image of God is a piece of trivia for most Christians, not a deeply grounded historical doctrine that is definitive. And we have got to teach the image of God. We've got to teach the image of God, not just that we're made in the image of God, but what the image of God is. And thankfully, there are some rich historical resources. I point people to Herman Bovink. Bovink's understanding, for example, of the four relationships are that he, to be in the image of God is to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with oneself, to be in relationship with others, to be in relationship with creation. And those relationships were created by God called good. All four of those relationships were impacted by the fall. Christ comes to restore us to who we truly are. And that includes all four of those relationships. Just beginning there helps people know, especially kids. And I, I, I'm sympathetic with you, uh, Samantha. I've got four kids and the identity struggles are unbelievable in our culture. Mm -hmm. um, they get lied to and yes. they never hear the truth uh, from anyone but us. So we have to be so thoroughly top to bottom clear. This is who you are. This is what you'll hear you are. This is who you really are. This is sexual desire. This is what you hear sexual desire is. This is what sexual desire really is. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've got to tell a different story and it's got to be catechism. You know, this has got to be kind of the new version of catechism. Mm -hmm. It can't be just be who is God, who is Christ, what is scripture. It's got to be what is human and mm -hmm. um, all that. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, yeah, what you mentioned about, you know, kids just being lied to everywhere that we turn. I'm, I'm only 26, um, so it was not that long ago that I was in public high school and um, in that realm. And even in in that short amount of time, it has drastically shifted. The narrative that they're hearing is so, so, so different from what I heard. Um, so I love your point about starting um, with the creation story, with what it means to be human, and, and really digging deeper into the idea of what the image of God really means and, and not just having that be a trivia question because you are a hundred percent right about that. If you went into any youth group, I guarantee you that every, every student could answer that question that they were made in the image of God, but very few of them could really dig into what the significance biblically of that statement is. Um, the last question I have for you is, once we're kind of diving deeper into the, and I'm going to link all of the resources you mentioned in the show notes, I think that's really helpful. But once we're kind of seeking the Lord about these things and researching them and um, reading more about them, how does our realization of our identity in Christ and in the creation how should that change our relationships with other people that we interact with? 
Yeah, and it's interesting. Second Corinthians five, Paul talks about, you know, we used to think about people according to the flesh, but we don't see anyone according to the flesh anymore. And of course, he's not talking about according to the body or according to this, you know, the the physical stuff of the flesh. He's talking about as if this story, as if the story is different, uh, as if God doesn't exist, as if they're not made in His image, as if Christ did not come to save them, and so on. Um, so it does require a difference, not just in how I think about God. Uh, or how I think about myself, but how I think about every person. Mm-hmm. Um, that means we have to have a different definition, for example, for human value and human dignity. That's historically really interesting, but also devastating. Uh, Christianity mm-hmm. gave the world the concept of human dignity. Uh, it's the only worldview that ever gave the world the concept of universal human dignity. And now that language of dignity has been widely embraced and is also now being hijacked in the attempt is to untether it from God and to tether it to something else, usually sexual determinism in one form or another. So we have to, I think, ask those really hard questions. And I, I think one of the way, you, you know, in other words, yeah, I'm for dignity too. Where does dignity come from? Mm. Uh, and how do we know? And what about, you know, right now we have linked human dignity to sexual autonomy, the ability to self-determine one's own sexual behavior and identity. And, and that's it. That's about all there is. Um, and man, uh, that is a vulnerable place for the young, uh, for mm-hmm. the unborn. Uh, for the uh, disabled, uh, for, um, you know, minorities, it's a very, very vulnerable place. Um, so, uh, second, I I think it's going to create that sort of collision. Uh, it is going to be impossible to hold to a biblical view of what it means to be human and not directly, uh, collide with things that are givens or taken for granted in our culture. And so we need to have that really clear. We need to be, you know, there, there are beliefs that I have that don't necessarily determine my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I'm a Duke fan. I thought Duke was going to win the national tournament this year. They did. <laughs> it was disappointing. You know, uh, it did not determine, um, you know, uh, certain things. The, the belief about what it means to be human falls into the category of essential. Yeah, Parents get a sense of that when their kids come home and are struggling with an identity issue. Mm. But we've got too many churches that are saying, look, these sexual issues are too complicated. They're too controversial. They're too uh, toxic. If we say this, it'll get away, get in the way of the gospel. Um, in a four chapter gospel, what it means to be human is chapter one. Doesn't get mm-hmm. in the way of it. You've got to be clear on it. So I, I don't know that we're ready for that sort of conflict, but we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's another thing that I'll say. It's going to create that sort of conflict. We need we need churches to help. If you are convicted by John's words and by the ideas that he shared, we would love to help you formulate this language to disciple your children, your family, the youth that you are responsible for leading in your community. We would love to help you do that that is why abundant life you were made for more was created please reach out to us via email or social media and we can set up a time to talk with you about ways to have these deeper conversations about the image of god and our identity and how that connects back to the creator Mm -hmm.